Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. We'll go out to Pebble Beach in the final half hour to talk about the U.S. Open Golf Championship. And James Franklin's uh, press get together in just a few moments. But first, our play-by-play call of the day. Sans music. (laughs) Come on. You can do it. We're almost there. We're almost there. (laughs) Come on. Hit it on the side. Okay. Okay. There you go. Nothing. Nothing. It's like, what? I'm no Fonzie at the jukebox at Arnold's. No. No, well, you know, boy. Here's the the issue with Mm, that. Frozen pizza. Oh, boy. Well, here's the issue with that. Just so you know. Dig, if you will, the picture. No, no, no. The picture's simple, okay? Right. The The picture is this. If you had somebody competent enough to put out the proper fires... (laughs) No? Gotcha. I see where you're going with that. <laughs> Boy, I sure do miss. All right. Well, <laughs> uh, no. Oh, oh, thought we had it there for a second. Here we go. There, there was something exciting. There, there we go. Okay, we've un, we've we've thawed out here. Okay, here we go. The pitch to him is swung on, hit high in the air down the right field line. It is slicing foul, and at the pole, that ball is fair. It's in play. All the way around to score is Mazzara. Pence circling third. He's heading for the plate, and Pence scores. We may have just seen an inside-the-park homer. We'll see how that is scored. As the right fielder Holt trying to make a play on that ball, might have kept it in play and allowed Pence to circle the bases. Yeah, okay. <laughs> wow. It wasn't exactly the greatest inside the park home run call ever. Like, I mean, where's he rounding the bases? <laughs> also, like, ah, it's an inside the park home run, but okay. <laughs> Okay, sure. <laughs> yeah, it was weird how the ball was kind of curling away from the outfielder there in right field. It literally was going parallel to the warning track and was going toward uh, the right center field gap and under yeah. just cruised home. Yeah. You and I both know that Hunter Pence is not going to be asked to take the baton for the anchor leg. <laughs> 
So, so something tells me you could have maybe picked him up around the bases because guess what? <laughs> I mean, he's not quite to the level of they're going to play the theme to Chariots of Fire as he runs it, but <laughs> they're also not not going to you know play ping take off because he's that fast. All right, James Franklin had a chance to talk with the media today. They had a media barbecue that took place at Lash Building. And, of course, he was asked about the transfer of Tommy Stevens. Just your initial reaction and and how did it transpire? How did he let you know? Or if he did he let you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, obviously, as you could probably imagine, I'm not, I'm not going to get into all the details. Um, at the end of the day, you know, I want I want what's best for, for Tommy. I want what's best for, for Penn State football. I want what's best for college football. Um, you know, it seems like every day you go on, you know, social media or, or the internet, and there's some story out there that's going on, uh, you know, with with transferring. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, I care about Tommy. He did wonderful things for us in our program, um, and um, I wish him nothing but success. And obviously, you know, uh, I want to make sure that Penn State's going to be successful. And can we talk about where you are quarterback-wise without him, and how that may be? Uh, Pushes some other people up the depth chart a little bit, maybe faster than I, I imagine you might hope. With yeah, I would some of the younger kids. Yeah, I would say my first response is it's, it's still the same. Is is it's an open competition? Um, you know, I think you guys would admit I've been pretty consistent with that since day one. Um, you know, obviously guys that are returning starters they have an advantage, but we're going to have open competitions every single year. Just because you're a returning starter doesn't doesn't guarantee that you got to go out and earn it every single day. Um, you know, obviously, obviously um, we got two freshmen that came in at mid semester, and those guys um, obviously are going to get more reps and more opportunities now. Um, just because obviously um, you know our, our situation now has changed you know than it was in, in spring football so you know we'll see how that whole thing plays out but I think we've been pretty consistent that at every position it's going to be an open competition um, and you need to do that again every single fall and every single spring and so on and so forth where's your confidence level with Sean for, for example yeah my, my confidence level is very high I think you know that's I think that's one of the things that we've done a pretty good job of is, is recruiting guys and then developing guys and um, you know and then also you know guys getting some opportunities you know so uh, we have a lot of confidence in Sean and what he's been able to do in some ways is a blessing in disguise because he was able to get work last year that probably would have been Tommy's work um, obviously Levis now is 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 thrust into uh, you know a more significant situation and instead of it being a three-way quarterback battle with with Levis Sean and Tommy now now it's a three-way quarterback battle with with one of the two freshmen so we'll see how the whole thing plays out but um no i just again it, i think consistency is very important in 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 a program and an organization and, and your messaging and how you do things so people know what to expect that's that's you guys uh, most importantly that's our players that that's all of it so um you know at the end of the day i want i want what's best for everybody this is a big month for recruiting now with the way the calendar is and you keep every day into closer to that dead period how would you evaluate where you guys are at this point in the cycle and then what do you have to accomplish over the next couple of weeks here before that dead period starts yeah it's different obviously there's more guys taking summer official visits which i think has changed um it really has kind of changed the, the recruiting landscape usually this time of year would be pretty quiet 
Uh, and now everybody's going on official visits and, and getting attention and getting love all over the country, and they, and they want to be able to do those things. So it's it's changed. It. Uh, there's no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. So, um, um, you know, I'm pleased with where we're at. I think, you know, really since the day we arrived, we've done a pretty good job uh, in that area. There's going to be ups and downs, and there's going to be, um, you know, different storylines that pop up. But, you know, like always, we're just going to stay positive and, and work through it and grind through it and, uh, you know, continue to develop the players we have and continue to recruit to create as much competition on the roster as we possibly can. James, what has Will Levis shown your staff through his first year on campus, and what has he gained last year as this guy's team going against the first-team guys every day of practice? Yeah, you know, really strong arm, uh, great body, uh, really good athleticism. He did a great job for us in camp, you know, when he when we were recruiting him, uh, and those things showed up really once he got on campus. You know, that was something that we've been very, very impressed with. Um, I think last year on the scout team at times he got frustrated because a lot of times the defensive coaches, they got a play drawn up and it's not how we would do it. They got a guy circled because that's that's where the guy typically throws it on film and and Will saying, well, based on the coverage you're playing, I, I wouldn't throw it there. And uh, that, that's always a battle. I've been dealing with that ever since I was a scout team quarterback. Um, but he's a competitive guy. Uh, he's done extremely well in school, very smart. Um, you know, and I, I think our team has a lot of confidence in him. So, you know, it should be uh, it should be an interesting game. How does Sean's skill set compare to Tommy's, and what impact might the difference have on your offense? Well, one of the things, that obviously, that's been it's been interesting. I'll speak specifically to Sean. But one of the things that I think has been interesting is when I have my end of the year meetings that I have with every player on the team. I ask the guys who, who are the hardest working guys on the team, and almost consistently. Um, um, it's it's Sean Clifford, um, and it's it's uh, Sutherland, you know, almost almost consistently. So they have earned their respect kind of throughout the unit. Uh, I think Sean's one of those guys. He's so competitive and he's so driven. You know, he came in here, um, and you knew he could make plays with his mind. You knew he could make plays with his arm, but you didn't know how much of a threat he was going to be as a runner. But he's really improved in those areas. Winter workouts, you know, he would either win um, or be right there neck and neck with, with Trace. Um, and he's continued on that kind of path. You know, I think if you look at his numbers right now, his testing numbers, they're as good as Trace's were. Um, in terms of his measurables, in terms of 40 and vertical jump and pro agility and all those types of things. They were not when he got here, but he has worked himself into a, to a damn good athlete right now. So I think I think he's going to be able to do a lot of things that maybe you know surprise people at first. How does his personality, we talked so much about his competitiveness and his want to be good, how much does his personality lend itself to that position and to be the leader on a team? Yeah, he's a little bit more, you know, probably in your face. Uh, he's probably a little bit more assertive and aggressive is how I would probably describe him. Um, but, but you know, in a lot of ways, you know, similar to what we have played with in the past. You know, Trace just kind of had a little bit more um, of a easygoing kind of temperament, and it would flare up and spike up at times when he felt like the team needed that. I think Tommy probably, uh, excuse me, uh, I would say Sean is probably more, um, kind of direct and, and a little bit more aggressive on a day-to-day -day interaction. Um, 
so you know it'll it'll be interesting you know one of the things that I try to do is try to get these guys to embrace who they are um, as leaders and as players and take those qualities and magnify them a little bit um, and that's that's what I think he's doing right now I think the good thing he's doing he's not trying to be Trace he's he's trying to be Sean I see Levis you know doing the same things do you have a position that you go into the summer into camp you consider a strength and conversely a position that you would think needs improvement yeah I think on defense obviously you know um, we got a lot of confidence at corner we got a lot of confidence at, at linebacker we got a lot of confidence at D end I think we go in you know at deep defensive tackle still feeling like we have to you know grow up there and take some strides although I do think you know we've been pretty pleased with the development of those guys during spring and also going you know what they've done so far to summer you know, I think on the offensive line, uh, obviously, you know, we got a new guy at quarterback after kind of knowing what we were going to have for the last three years at, at that position. Um, you know, wide receiver, we were very young last year. Those guys have all gained experience and are going to grow up. I think we got a chance to be really strong at tight end, obviously based on production and who's returning there. I think Bowers is going to have a big year for us too. Um, and then I think, you know, at offensive tackle, obviously replacing Bates um, with a little bit less experience where at guard, and center replacing McGovern's a little bit different because there's more bodies in there that have played or are a little bit older in their careers. So on offense, I'd probably say you know that that left tackle position or one of the tackle positions, um, and at quarterback. How do you feel about overall leadership, particularly on special teams? Where you've lost a lot of upperclassmen who have contributed uh, for sure on special teams. Yeah, I feel good about um, obviously Blake Gilligan, who's going to be our leader on special teams. Um, you know, I feel good about obviously now you got Jake Pinnegar's you know, a year older and now he's got a better feel of what to expect and and what the understand i think you got kj as a returner as well as some other guys so i think in our kind of featured positions on special teams at the specialist spots spots i think we're pretty good um but i think your point is obviously um you know some of the depth that we've lost is, is going to impact special teams you know the good thing is i do think we're young and i do think we're talented and kind of like what grant haley did in his career which is an example i use all the time you know grant was a i think a dominant special teams player as a true freshman and that confidence led into other areas and we're going to need to have a number of guys be similar to that this year. Can you talk about the importance of summertime up here not only with recruiting but with academics and getting mentally and, and physically prepared? Yeah I, th I think all of it I think this is when you're you know you really kind of define your team uh, from a leadership standpoint from a standard standpoint from an expectations um, you know I think in a lot of ways the fact that the coaches can't be with them a whole lot and we can't be with them a whole lot uh, forces the team to really kind of you know, take control of their own fate and own destiny and then we obviously will shape and tweak that thing during camp and during the season but you know I think this time is critical it's critical you know from a, from a work ethic standpoint from a mentality standpoint from a leadership standpoint uh, and those guys start to you know kind of make themselves aware uh, on the team and start to take a hold of it and football coach James Franklin earlier today giving a mid-June assessment of his team. Lift for Life will be Friday, July 12th at Haluba Hall. We'll come back with more in a moment. U.S. Open Talk in the final half hour on News Radio 1070 WKOK.
Great to have you with us on the show today. Brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Key Roots, 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Stanley Cup Final Game 7 tonight. Boy, there's nothing like there's nothing like overtime hockey, and there's nothing like Game 7 hockey. I don't think any other sport provides the kind of drama that the NHL does. Well, on top of that, you got Doc Emmerich tonight one more time, so that's... That's yeah. where I will be tonight after eight. Oh my goodness, is that that's an easy call? Oh yeah, it's interesting. You know, I mean, I you know, obviously I love college football. I love college basketball. I'm privileged to announce both, and man, I really enjoy doing both. And I and then of course doing baseball. I love doing baseball. But it's interesting when it gets to this time of the year. If you give me a choice. Because it's not college basketball here. It's the NBA. If you give me a choice between a Stanley Cup playoff game and an NBA playoff game, i pick the Stanley Cup. I often am watching a Stanley Cup game instead of maybe watching an NBA playoff game. And home ice, just like home court in the finals, home court in the finals has meant nothing. The road team has won four of the five games in the NBA finals. Well, it's the same story in the Stanley Cup. They've played six games so far. The road teams won four of the six games. And I believe, is her name Layla? The young lady that the Blues have embraced? Layla Anderson? Somebody is flying her to Boston tonight to be at the game. How about that? It um, Look, I, a lot of this is going to come down to Jordan Bennington and Tuka Rask. Rask, even in losses, Rask has been great. He's been great the entire playoff. And the big guns have to come through. This is one of those where maybe O'Reilly, Tarasenko... Have got to be big for St. Louis. Petrangelo on the blue line. For the Bruins, this is going to be one where Bergeron, Marshawn, and um, I mean, they've got to be big tonight. They've got to be big. Uh, Pasternak was the other one I was thinking of. They're going to be big tonight. Yet you feel like at some point a guy like Charlie Coyle is going to make a play. So, yeah, I'll go with the Bruins tonight. And I just got a feeling that Massachusetts' own Charlie Coyle may make a a play tonight. There's going to be a, there's going to be some hitting tonight. There was not a lot of hitting, you know. In Game Six did not feature a lot of hitting. I was surprised by that. I think tonight you're going to see a lot of hitting tonight. I mean, it's going to look like the suit in that small booth with Ray Moyer. I mean, it's just you know, Ray's like move over. I moved over. <laughs> they gave him booth C. <sighs> Eagle one hundred seven has it for you. One fifteen on Friday. One thirty first pitch. When you hear the pregame show, we already did it for them. I can easily re-rack that up for Friday. You might as well. What's have it done in a jiffy.
because it would really take a lot of pressure off, not Ray. (laughs) All right, Jason Sobel, next half hour. To talk about the U.S. Open, he'll join us from the Monterey Peninsula. 17-mile drive, Pebble Beach. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Q, Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. On News Radio 1070 WKOK. Father's Day normally means a new tie, a pair of socks. If Dad is really lucky, maybe some new golf balls. Well, Sunbury Motors is honoring Dads with the father of all sales. SMC has 125 new trucks with savings up to 16 grand. The Ford F-150 has been the number one selling vehicle for 42 consecutive years. And one is sold every 29 seconds. SMC has 2019 F-150s from 25904. Plus, there's 0% financing from up to 72 months on 2019 F-150s. There's 16 of the all-new 2019 Ford Ranger 4x4s in both extended and crew cabs starting as low as 34870. And Sunbury Motors needs your old truck, so they'll give you the most money for your truck trade, period. It's the father of all sales going on now. So hurry into Sunbury Motors in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Keywords 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Friday, by the way, John Urschel's on the show. Talk about his book. Also, we have Phil Steele coming up. It's that time of the year. It's also that time of the year for golf's national championship. And this time they decided 17-mile drive, Monterey Peninsula, and some place called Pebble Beach would be a good spot to hold it. With that, Jason Sobel joins us from Action Network. Jason, welcome. It's great to have you back with us. Hey, thanks for having me, Steve. Yeah, here at Pebble, one of my favorite spots in the entire world, and I can't wait for this thing to get started. It's unbelievable. Uh, when you talk to the players that played in the Pro-Am, which was, what, 6,800 yards, and let's face it, you've got you've got the likes of Bill Murray out there and so forth, so they're not going to take the course and send it off the rails. Uh, how different do all the players tell you that the course is now compared to February? It's not even the same animal. I mean, it's not even in the same neighborhood. It's just a, a completely different golf course, and I know that, uh, people who, you know, maybe play the same course over and over, you know, they're looking this week. It looks the same. I, I don't see how it can be that much different. It can't change that much in four months, I'm telling you. Uh, the fairways are about half the width that they were four months ago. The the greens are much, much quicker than they were. The rough is thicker. So uh, it's just a much different golf course. When Tiger Woods won the Masters, he showed an incredible patience that really paid off as to how he played. Obviously, he's got this tournament coming up this week. When you asked him about the 2000 experience, did he surprise you with his answer about not having to be perfect? He really did. I, I thought that Tiger would say there's nothing he could, he 
could take from 2000, uh, that historic 15-shot victory, they would help him this week. And yet when I asked him that, he said, no, there's, there's certain things I, I missed in the right place that entire week. So I took good angles all the time. And I think one thing that we forget and Tiger remembers is that he was not flawless that week. He made six bogeys and a triple that week and still managed to beat everybody else by 15 shots. And I think that's a good thing for him to have in his memory bank. And if I was advising a young player and a potential contender this week, I would remind him of that, that you don't have to be perfect at the U.S. Open, especially this U.S. Open where maybe there are going to be a few more birdies to be had later in the, in the round, later in the, the weekend. So I think these guys can go out there and make some mistakes, and Tiger knows better than anybody else you can make mistakes around here and still win and still win in convincing fashion. Jason, you and I both know that Jack Nicholas always had the attitude when he'd go to a major, and in particular the U.S. Open, he could look in the locker room and he could start just by looking around eliminating potential yeah. competition. Brooks Kepka takes the same attitude. When you talk to him about that ability to look around the room and say, don't have to worry about him, him, and him, but I do have to worry about that guy. Look, he's confident, he's cocky, he understands his place in the game right now and what he's become and continues to uh, develop into, and uh, I think players are, are, quite frankly, a little bit intimidated by him. And I, I never quite bought into uh, the intimidation factor of Tiger Woods, and it's still not even a right word because intimidation sort of suggests that uh, they're scared in some way and they're going to, you know, uh, they're physically menacing or something like that. For, for Kepka, it's more, man, this guy is just cool as could be, and he goes out there and uh, gets in the lead of a major championship and looks like he's playing a Tuesday practice round, and uh, I think that's what. I guess the other players just kind of, you know, thinking, man, I, I wish I could be like that. I wish I could do what Brooks Kepka is doing right now. And he plays on it with a chip on his shoulder, plays with multiple chips on his shoulder, and that seems to motivate him. So uh, they might be perceived flights. They might be uh, manufactured in his mind a little bit. But whatever's working for him seems to be working so far. Rory McIlroy won the players, was a non-factor in the PGA and at the Masters, but he's coming off the Canadian Open where he shot 61 to win with relative ease. Obviously, Hamilton, Ontario is not the same as the Monterey Peninsula, <laughs> but still, what do you think this, of the state of his game coming into this? Obviously, the state of his game is fantastic, and we all saw on the weekend shooting 64-61 and really just uh, lapping the field. It, he's hitting the ball and putting as well as he could be right now. That said, I, I've spoken with Rory on multiple occasions, usually in regard to having to win the Masters as the last leg of the career Grand Slam. And I always ask him, you know, is it harder? Uh, do, you, do you think to win the Masters is the last one? He said, no. I said, I'm really glad that I got a U.S. Open under my belt when I did. Because <laughs> he kind of knows this is the hardest major for him. And it shows the results. He's missed the cut each of the last three years. So for as well as Rory's hitting it right now, as confident as he seems, and he just uh, did a press conference 10 minutes ago and uh, seemed like he is ready to go and seems like he's in great spirits right now, I just have a hard time getting over the fact that the U.S. opens in his head just a little bit, and I don't know that he can fix that this week. McElroy, Brooks Kepka, Dustin Johnson are all superior with the driver. In reality, Jason, in talking to all the players and through your own personal observation, 
How often can you use driver on this course the way it's set up? Kepka said he would use it four times. Rory, I believe, said five times per round, but uh, that's a maximum five times per round. So it does take an advantage out of their hands, but I think what we forget is that if another player, let's say a uh, Webb Simpson type, for lack of a, a better name, is hitting driver around this place and Rory McIlroy is hitting four iron, Rory can hit it just about as far and definitely more accurately. So uh, it's not necessarily a disadvantage for these guys to not have their advantage, which I know sounds really weird and I know sounds uh, like it's contract contrasting with, with its own statement, but uh, I think that taking driver out of the hands of the bigger hitters really just makes them more accurate. And so some of these guys might have seven iron into the greens instead of pitching wedge, but that's not really that big of a deal, and I think they can handle it. I think that uh, they can get over not hitting driver this week. So uh, I don't think you necessarily eliminate those players based on the fact that they won't be hitting driver. You mentioned Rory McIlroy needs the Masters to complete the career Grand Slam. Everyone knows Phil Mickelson needs the U.S. Open to complete his Grand Slam. He's been Mm -hmm. second six times in his career. He won in February, as you said, completely different course. What do you think his odds are at this? Because he usually has played the course well regardless of how it's set up. Yeah, I just don't see it happening for Phil. I don't think you can come to the U.S. Open just completely out of form and find it. And that's what he's going to need to do because ever since he won here at Pebble Beach four months ago, I don't think he's finished better than 18th place at any event. And that was once. So he's got some work to do in order to get back into form again. uh, If he's hitting driver, he's got to hit it much straighter than he's been hitting it. If he's not hitting driver, he's got to find something that uh, can help him find the fairways and uh, help those irons uh, find the greens. I, I just don't quite see it happening for Phil Mickelson this week. But like you said, it would be the best story. I mean, if Tiger Woods is story 1A going into every single major championship, and that would be the biggest thing in golf if Tiger wins, then Phil Mickelson is at least a very close 1B this week going after that career slam. All right, Jason, uh, give me uh, – there's certain guys where the U.S. Open can, you know, fit their game because of how they drive it, how they putt it, how patient they are. Give me a, a, an under-the-radar guy or guys that you think have the kind of game that actually can win this thing that maybe people aren't thinking about. So I ranked the entire field this week, as I do before every major championship. Right. I started an update today. I, I kind of, you know, there are a few guys that I, I feel like I shortchanged a little bit. I like kind of going back to these things. Uh, you know, after writing this on Monday, and then two days later, watching some practice rounds, listening to people talk, watching the course, seeing what the weather's like. Uh, there's a few other guys that I like a little bit more, so I'll give you three names. Shane Lowry, who's off a yep. runner-up finish to Rory last week in Canada. Jim Furyk, who's the ultimate bulldog, who can grind his way and hit fairways and hit greens and uh, play really well at the U.S. Open. And Kevin Kisner, who uh, this course fits his game perfectly, but he doesn't like putt putting on Poana Green, so uh, right. I'm not sure if he's going to make too many putts, but uh, the course really fits his game. So those are three guys that uh, I don't know if any of those guys are, are necessarily going to win, but if you're looking at making a top five, top ten kind of wager this week, those are guys that I really like. Do you have time for one more question? Let's go. All right. You mentioned you just love going to Pebble Beach. So what is it about this plot of land 
that you love so much? Oh, boy, that's a tough one. I wish I was a writer. I'd be able to put it into words. Uh, <laughs> I wish you were. <laughs> it really is. I mean, it's it's such a tremendous piece of property out here. I think that uh, it's just gorgeous. It's just beautiful. It's, you know, you start thinking about the history and thinking about all the great tournaments that have been held here and everything we've watched on TV. It's just, it, it's really a fun experience. I can tell you that there aren't that many golf courses where if I'm not following a, a certain player, if I'm not watching the action, I'm not going to go out there and just walk the course for the heck of it. Uh, on Tuesday evening, I went out and just walked the golf course for a while. Just late in the evening, I had my phone with me, I took some cool pictures, and just kind of hung out and watched, the, looked at the golf course, and, uh, and didn't even watch necessarily anyone in particular playing. There were a couple of groups out there just messing around, practice rounds, but I just wanted to take a walk and see the golf course. And having done this job for an absolute long time now, I, I don't do that very often. I do, don't do that for every golf course, but I make sure I do it when I come here. That says it all. Jason, thanks so much. Appreciate the time very, very much. You guys, thanks for having me, and enjoy the tournament this week. Jason Sobel joining us from Action Network. He is one of the absolute best among golf writers in this country. Joining us from Pebble Beach. We'll come back, wrap up everything in a moment here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. So what, the, the suit's going to do the game like Brockmire? Oh, man. <laughs> I'm now just starting season three of Brockmire. I'm a couple of episodes behind. But I, I blitzed through season two about a month ago, and I realized season two was a year ago. But uh, I can't wait for season to watch, start watching season three. Hey, the suit <laughs> might do the game like uh, Brockmire. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, great to be here, oh, Brockmire. <laughs> then he's going to start calling himself Brockmire. And poor Ray Moore is going to be looking over like, what What am I dealing with here? Kevin Brockmire. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, boy. We got, Matt, we got the ultra-talented Matty Cotrillo just in dry dock. Yeah. All right. So, <laughs> Who snuck in the flask? <laughs> oh, my jeez. Oh, no. It's just, boy. There were a couple of years ago. Boy, I miss Frolazzo. <laughs> All right, so <laughs> I mean, you know, you know, I, it's a tie as for two people I miss more than anything. I miss Frolazzo, and I miss Harry. Harry, <laughs> Harry, all yeah. pension, no tension, Bingaman. <laughs> That's his quote, not mine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, the U.S. Open's tomorrow. Brooks Kepko looking to win his third straight. That hasn't happened since Willie Anderson over 100 years ago. Uh, this could be a week, for example, where a guy like Justin Rose could win it. Rose has actually started to play a little bit better. McElroy. McElroy hits it straight. He's fine. I guess that's with most players. But McElroy hits it long. In other words, the reason why you look at a guy like McElroy, 
that if he hits it straight, because McElroy, according to what Jason said, is going to hit iron off of mm, twelve out of the eighteen tees. Now, obviously, some of those some of those happen to be uh, actually thirteen off of eighteen tees. He's going to hit iron. Now, obviously, a couple of them are par threes. But he can hit a four iron as far as some guys can drive it. Same thing with Kepka. The course is longer than the AT&T Pro-Am by about 300 yards, maybe almost 400 yards. What a setting. Have you ever been to Monterey? I've never been to California. Oh, my, oh my goodness. One night, uh, Dave Baker... Ed DeCellis and I, Penn State was playing in the Cable Car Classic in San Jose. And we st- we were staying in Santa Clara. We were right next to, I mean, literally, the hotel was right next to the 49ers training complex. And so you get there a couple, you know, like two days before the tournament starts. So the day before the tournament, you know, we had a car. I said, you know, let's, what the heck, let's just drive down to Monterey. We've never seen it before. This is like 20 years ago. So you, first thing that surprises you in driving down there is like obviously San Francisco has a lot has a huge population. Oakland has a huge population. San Jose has a huge population. But once you start going south out of Santa Clara, it is one farm after another. Now you would expect in driving down there that it would be just one big strip of activity after another. It was always one farm after another, you know, some vineyards and some farm farms, okay? Then we get down there to 17-mile drive, and you start going down 17-mile drive, and then you're able to, the 15th, I want to say it's the 15th fairway. 15th fairway runs right next to 17-mile drive. And you start there and you look, and you're looking at this golf course, it's like, Unbelievably beautiful. And then you keep going all the way around to the other side. And to get to, I want to say Pacific Grove. You know, the House of Seven Gables is on the Monterey Peninsula. And I remember we went to a restaurant where the restaurant went out on a boardwalk out into the Pacific. And I was sitting there with my back to the Pacific, and I'm watching the waves hit the shore as I'm eating my dinner. Absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous place. And I know Jack has enjoyed going out to wine country for years. Jack Ham has really enjoyed it. But he's also gone to Carmel a few times. And Carmel's incredible. Incredible. Um. I mentioned that to the suit one night, and he says, yes, I've been to Mount Carmel many times. Like, yeah, <laughs> no, it's not quite the same. <laughs> I wonder, there's this one guy missing from these majors that we just haven't heard, especially on Sundays in contention, is Jordan Spieth. just wonder when he's finally going to get out of this long slump. I mean, he did have some top ten finishes over Actually, a month or been, so ago. He's been putting better. Yeah. Now, Spieth has been putting better. Uh, I'll, let me give you another one that I, is, I think at some point is going to break through soon in a major. That's Xander Shoffley. 
Uh, he is not the great personality of this generation. Or He just goes out and he plays, and he plays at a very high level, and he plays at a very high level in majors. Xander Shoffley is a guy. I thought Jason might mention Xander Shoffley. Um, Kevin Kisner I can understand because he's right. The, this does fit his game. But Jordan Spieth, Spieth's problem is this. He does have a tendency to spray the ball off the tee. You can't spray the ball off the tee. Yeah. Uh, now, the other part in this is, and I didn't get a chance to talk to Jason about this, but Mike Davis has been doing course setup for a long time, and the last few years people have not been enamored with the course setups. Now, what does that mean for this? I don't know. Pebble Beach seems like the kind of place, to be honest with you, where it's like very difficult to mess up. <laughs> it's Pebble Beach. Uh, you know, they talked about Chambers Bay. They talked about Shinnecock and with the water last year and so forth. And they talked about, well, of course, the USGA fouled up with Oakmont and Dustin Johnson, who had to play the rest of his round not knowing whether he was penalized or not. And, and so it's not as if they have escaped without uh, some controversy along the way. Also, it's another year, I want to say it's the fifth year now, of Fox doing the U.S. Open. Fox Sports 1 will have the early coverage on Friday, on Thursday and on Friday. And then because it's Pebble Beach and because it's California, you're going to have golf in prime time tomorrow night and Friday night. Now, tomorrow night, it'll be opposite the NBA Finals between Golden State and Toronto, ironically, just up the road in Oakland. Tonight, it's the Stanley Cup Final. The Bruins and the St. Louis Blues. The winner gets the Stanley Cup. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Don't forget on Friday, Sealands Grove and Beaver for the State Quad A Baseball Championship on Eagle 107, 115, the airtime, 130, the first pitch. You're listening to News Radio 1070 WKOK Sunbury. You can hear us anywhere in the world with the Sunbury Broadcasting Corporation app.